That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. All right, Jake, we're live. Time to behave. Good thing you're uh, dressed up today because we're doing our first ever video recording while we're doing the audio recording for the podcast. We don't know if we'll use it. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. Depends. But I got to say, you're looking good. Thanks, Aaron. You are too. I love your backdrop. Tell us about it. Well. I'm just kidding. It's the Simpsons. Yeah, Uh, yeah, there's a whole, as we all now discovered, there's a whole universe out there of of, uh, virtual backgrounds. I can also do the Millennium Falcon. I can show you what St. Albans looks like, all those things. But uh, anyways, how are you doing in this ministry time of Corona? I'm doing, uh, I'm doing well, just, uh, you know, psychosomatically, I'm hanging in there. Today is a very, very, it's a good day, you know, it's Thursday, and, uh, and um, I'm chatting with you, so, and we are talking about Trinity Sunday. Yeah, so are you preaching on Trinity Sunday? Uh, are you I farming believe, it out? No, I believe I am preaching on the doctrine of the Trinity, so, which is an important doctrine. And I actually think everybody should implement the Athanasius Creed um, in their worship on Trinity Sunday. Are you doing it? Are you going to take 45 minutes to read that out loud? <clears throat> I, uh, I have done it in the past, and I want to recommend um, that if uh, you do say the Athanasius Creed, make sure you find a modern translation of it. Um, the first time I did, um, I found uh, I didn't know and uh, was kind of bringing it in. And um, anyway, there is a lot of um, his godhood touching his manhood. And so in that, like the whole congregation was completely laughing. And so they're the end, so and, juvenile at Calvary St. George. It's a bunch of middle was, schoolers. But uh, so but we lost uh, the first time around. I lost the essence of it. But then I found a modern translation. And. We do, uh, we do say it, try and say it on Trinity Sunday, so anyway. It definitely does say touching his manhood, which is yeah. problematic mm-hmm. these days. doesn't mean the same thing as when they tra- nope. translated so, that. So it's yeah, like his divinity. So they say his divinity, you know, touched his humanity or something like that now and then. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. anyway, praise God. So, well, uh, for I will the Athanasius say Creed. one thing that we do at St. Albans is that we print the Athanasian Creed in our bulletin. So, and we... Um, I don't know. I don't think we've ever read it out loud because it is pretty long and uh, time consuming. Yeah, but I don't know. Is. I could be convinced. But we always print it in the bulletin. We say, "Take it home, read it." I hope yeah. somebody does. Interesting. Interesting fact about the Athanasius <clears throat> Creed is that Athanasius actually didn't compose the creed. It's named after him because he was a defender of the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, but rather, it was written and given his namesake because what was happening was is uh, um, Gnosticism was beginning to uh, emerge in Spain and uh, catch like wildfire, and so the Athanasius Creed was composed to really illustrate um, the importance and the distinctive of the doctrines of the of uh, the Trinity. 
Uh, the doctrine of the Trinity is what makes is one of the things that makes us uniquely Christian. We believe not in three gods, but we believe in one God who is in three persons. Yeah, and uh, we can get into that pretty quickly. But so the readings for Trinity Sunday, don't we read the first oh, chapter yeah. of Sorry. the book of Trinity where Paul says, this is the Trinity, now let me explain it to you. Oh, yeah, that is. That's my favorite part of the book of Trinity. And so, no, just kidding. Um, you won't find the word Trinity put in the New Testament anywhere, but uh, uh, essentially the doctrine of the Trinity is not, it's not explicit in the New Testament or in the Old Testament, but it's implicit. So um, Christians for um, Christians right from the beginning believed uh, in one God in three persons, and we believe that can be deduced from both the Old and the New Testament. We clearly, as Christians, believed that there is one God in connection with our Jewish roots, but we believe that Jesus, um, the Son, um, was God as well, and he made the claim to be God, and then he promised that he would not leave us as orphans. And so um, uh, he's given us his Holy Spirit to dwell with us, his his very presence in the midst of his absence, what's perceived as his absence at least. And so, but, uh, so th- but we still believe in one God. And, uh, but they uh, distinctly are three persons, yet one God. How it works out, I'm not sure. If you can figure out God, you might not want to worship that's him. That's right. The Trinity is always going to be a, a, a doctrine that's confusing and that kind of stretches your brain till it hurts a little bit. But exact, exactly right. If, if God were easily understood... If God were simply, as people often describe God as the big guy upstairs, the old man up there, or whatever, uh, that wouldn't really be a God that I'm interested in in worshiping in. By the way, we have to talk about your background. No, is that nor nor would nor <clears throat> nor would a God nor would a God who's like an egg, Ooh, yeah, or um, you know, or could be um, or could be described by an ice cube. Or uh, could, uh, you know, all of those things, they break down into modalism and various and sundry heresies. The truth is, is that the doctrine of the Trinity is, um, is received. That's what it is. And that's what the Christian church has taught throughout the centuries. The Catholic faith has taught is that this doctrine is received. And uh, we believe that God is one and he is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they've always existed, and they are all co-equal. If I can quote Naughty by Nature, how can I explain it? Mm. Let me take it frame by frame it. God the Father is God. (laughs) God the Son is God. God the Holy Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son or the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son or the Father. Mm. And the Son, I forget which one I said, and the Spirit is not the Son or the Father. The Son is not the Father or the Spirit, and the Father is not the Son or the Spirit. So... They are Amen. co-equal. They're not all the same thing. And that's the reason why you said why the whole, you know, ice cube thing, like water is a vapor, water is a solid, water is a liquid, but it's all water. No, no, no. It's like that's one thing changing into different things. The sun is mm-hmm. always the sun. Mm-hmm. The father is always the father. The spirit is always the spirit. And the egg thing doesn't work because yeah. the yolk is not the same thing. The yolk isn't the shell. And a yolk is not an egg. That's right. And a shell is not an egg. That's so, But the sun mm-hmm. is fully God. The Spirit is fully God. The Spirit the is, fully, is God, fully God. Yep. And so the reason that word isn't yeah. in the New Testament is because there was no word to explain this thing. It's something that, as you said, was revealed to us. And the, it is kind of a thing where people sometimes, 
it's, it's sort of famous, and I teased you at the beginning, like, have you farmed out the preaching for Trinity Sunday? Because it is often a rite of passage <laughs> where the rector gives the assistant mm-hmm. the task or the curate or the, you know, the, the low person on the totem pole, the challenge uh, or the arduous task of preaching on Trinity Sunday. Because it's, you know, you either have somebody who tries to explain too much and confuses and befuddles the congregation. Everyone. Or kind of skips it and or, you know... <laughs> quite easily falls off into one of these heresies we've discussed. Just tries to use these analogies that all fall apart. So, preaching mm-hmm. Trinity Sunday, mm-hmm. what is the point? in What is the Jacob Smith wisdom on preaching Trinity <laughs> Sunday? What are you trying to convey to your congregation? Yeah, well, uh, to quote uh, Naughty by Nature as well, you down with the Trinity. Yeah, you know ah. me. All of Christianity. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I think, you know, the, the gift of the Trinity is essentially, and, I, and I, I learned this from Paul Zoll, and it's always stuck with me, and it's brought me such massive comfort, is that uh, the same God who created you is the same God who has saved you, and now is the same God who's with you always, especially in your darkest hours. And, um, and uh, that, I think, is what uh, is the readings are articulating uh, in, uh, in our lectionary today. Yeah, and I will say the the place where the where people all the heresies not all I would say you know most of the heresies or the ways people kind of fall off the wagon in terms of the Trinity is they end up minimizing the Son and the Spirit. Uh, mm-hmm. I I don't know anyone who's gone from a Trinitarian view of God to even more gods. People always go from the three to the yeah. one. No, no, well, Benny Hinn. Oh, Benny yeah, Hinn did. Okay. Yeah, do you remember when he was like, there is Trinity of Trinities. Just go and YouTube it. It's the craziest or don't. thing you've ever seen. I think seen. we've already heard enough. And... <laughs> the, the, uh, the, Benny Hinn yeah. said. So, so the, the, but what most people do, Benny Hinn aside, is they, yeah. they, they keep Jesus and the Spirit around, kind of, but in diminished roles, and the Father stays, or this kind of uni- unified one... God stays, people don't seem to have a problem with that. But what is difficult is having a human being who's fully God. And what's also difficult is having this Mm. unseen spirit that's hard to even talk about as being fully God. And so people, it's hard, so they quit or they drop it. And you end up having a Christ who is unable to fully save you. And you have a spirit who's unable to fully be present as fully God with you in your life right now. So you lose so much yeah, if you lose the Trinity. Good. So it's not just some abstract theological point that we want people to, to affirm so that we can give them a gold star. You actually end up with a much lesser, much diminished God who is very distant and almost deistic if mm. you lose this Trinitarian understanding of God. It means that you don't have the redemption of humanity in the incarnation of Christ. You just you, you, it, Pentecost becomes some sort of like parlor trick or something like that uh, yeah. you, just, you lose a lot of things and so th- that's why it's important and and the re- and and the real <clears throat> presence um of christ with you now by his spirit um is is an abstraction you know what is the, what's the spirit's pointing to you know and actually without the trinity god becomes an abstraction i think overall and so um um Absolutely right. That's good. Yeah, and I will say the the one that often gets the shortest shrift of them all is the Holy Spirit. I hear people say all the time, yeah. I believe in God and Jesus. And I always want to say, well, yeah, and there's one more. <laughs> uh, 
People just yeah. sort of forget, or they and they they tend to make Jesus their buddy and not Jesus God. Um, yeah. Again, just that kind mm. of wise teacher thing. So, anyways, the Trinity, mm. the challenge for preachers is you do want to communicate Orthodox Trinitarian theology, but you also want to help people understand why it matters for them in their lives, which I think the readings help get at that. So, after having now talked now for way too long preliminaries about yeah, Trinity Sunday. It's your fault. I blame fault. only myself. Jake, I know you kept trying to get it back <laughs> on track. By the way, what is your background? Is that your living room? Is that something you have spray painted somewhere? <clears throat> yeah, no, that's uh, the wall, the giant massive wall that's twice the size of the Berlin Wall, that what was the Berlin Wall, that cuts right through the middle of Bethlehem and wow. cuts uh, Bethlehem off from, the, from Jerusalem, which um, is basically a complete stranglehold on the... Um, Palestinian Christian um, economy. So anyway, I put that up as always a talking point. <laughs> Just bring, bringing people together. Back to Trinity Sunday. Yes. <laughs> uh, so moving on, we are... So actually, but this is right outside of uh, Banksy's big art exhibit uh, called the Waldorf Astoria. Uh, so anyway, but um, clever. anyway, if you're there, uh, go go to the wall and yeah, weep. For sure. So anyway, but now back to Genesis so chapter 1. So this is a long, long, long reading this is uh, it rivals you know sunday of the passion palm sunday for long readings this is the whole whole first chapter of the book of genesis as well as a little bit into chapter two mm -hmm. and it's the entire creation story and it's here because well for number i mean the reason it's on trinity sunday is because you're going to get a full robust doctrine of god the father the creator as we say in the creed which is a trinitarian creed i believe in god the father almighty creator or maker of heaven and earth so now you're going to hear this whole story and i got to hand it to the lectionary people who decided to include the whole thing i mean the whole grandeur of creation it's this majestic passage that begins with god speaking and you may say well what does this have to do with the trinity it more this would be like for creation sunday or creation care sunday or for earth day or something like that. why is this on trinity sunday uh well because you have uh you have this you have in verse one god created the heavens and the earth okay god creator okay got that that's the first person in trinity and then it says that a wind from god swept over the face of the waters this is and people make a big deal out of this, and it sounds, it's one of those cliche things people say after going to seminary for a week, that mm. ruach in Hebrew means the same, <laughs> means wind and spirit is the same word. And yeah, it's true. I mean, yeah. it is a cliche. Yeah, ruach. To really get the yeah, guttural. Absolutely. So, uh, the wind from God is the wind from God. This is the spirit of God. Mm -hmm. And then spirit. you have, then God said, let there be light. So you have the word of God. So the point of including mm -hmm. this reading, in addition to show the majesty, power, creativity, wisdom, and beauty of God in creation, you also see from the first three verses of the Bible, God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Word, or we would come later to know mm -hmm. as the Son, as and, the uh, which we know from, from the first chapter of John's Gospel. The other thing that you have here is uh, the use of the term us that God uses to talk yep. about God's self in the first person plural. Uh, and this is in the creation of human beings in verse 26. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image. And I would not make a huge deal out of this, people, because scholars do question about whether this is God talking to the heavenly host, the uh, other kind of angelic 
beings in heaven Mm -hmm. with God, or whether it is God the Trinity saying, let us make people in our Trinitarian image. Uh, There's some debate about that. So I don't know that I would get... Or or the royal we. Right, yeah. um, So so I wouldn't... I wouldn't put too much weight on that word here more than it can bear. I think the thing mm. that's important in the beginning is God the creator, God the spirit, the wind, and God the word, uh, all involved in creation. And this says, essentially, this, this says that the, the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Spirit, creates, upholds, and sort of all of creation bears witness to, to this Trinitarian God. And it's all good. That's the other big yeah. point here, that God makes something good, something without sin, something full of beauty. A lot of other creation stories and other religious traditions involve a world that's created and, and sin is sort of baked in from the beginning. Even the deities, the divinities that make the earth uh, are often shown as sinful as well. So when you have ancient Near Eastern creation myths, what you have in, in sort of the... Uh, the big story that's around kind of the um, Iraq and uh, that whole uh, Mesopotamian region, one of the predominant creation stories was that uh, the gods made human beings to do the work for them, essentially to be slaves for them because they were tired of, you know, agricultural labor. So they create human beings to do that. So one of the things that this whole story is promoting is the dignity of human beings, mm-hmm. the beauty and perfection of creation. It's a creation without sin, at least to start. So those are all things you can hit in. But I think the Trinitarian thing, I've already said what that is and probably said too much. Jake, was there anything else you would say about Genesis yeah. 1 and a little bit of Genesis 2? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, I think that, um, well, that's, I want to go back to deities, you know, creating humans to work. That's why I had children, <laughs> so I wouldn't have to work in. But anyway, but haha. <laughs> But um, yeah, no, I think you hit the nails on the head is going back to our ice cube conversation and egg conversation is one of the things that, you know, Moses is getting at in this in this chapter is um, <clears throat> is the um, is the idea that so all of these things like light and sun, moon and the stars, um, animals, the sea, the land, all of these things, uh, the people around Israel worshipped. And uh, this is a, on a profound level. This isn't here to settle the de- debate, the modernist debates between evolution and creation. Get that. Don't even touch on that. That's ridiculous. A- anybody knows that this isn't about evolution versus creation. Uh, this is about what um, this is. What Moses is doing here is writing a polemic, and he is saying that which uh, um, that which you worship, uh, we eat and use as a clock, and our God has created it. And um, we have a relationship with him, mm. the creator of all things. And so that is, um, and, uh, that is profoundly good news because through that creation, um, uh, by virtue of Jesus entering into it, the word and taking on flesh and dying for us, we now have a relationship with that God too. And that God calls us friends. Mm. You know, that powerful God uh, calls you his children uh, by virtue of the word taking on flesh. So um, uh, that's kind of uh, the direction I would go in that regard. Yeah, and it is true that there are some that make a pretty cogent argument that you wouldn't have the existence of what we now call the branch of knowledge science if it weren't for 
the view of the universe that comes out of Genesis, because Genesis has this idea that God is different from the creation and that the creation, if you're you're allowed to study a tree because there's no spirit living in that tree, you're allowed to study the sun because it's not the chariot of some divine being and who will get mad at you if you study the orbit of the sun or something like that. So this absolutely, we'd still be, we would still be throwing children into, into the ocean. I guarantee you, if it wasn't for the for the biblical revelation of God as a God, yeah, and and and, a, and the creation is is created. It is that it is not a it is not a being to be worshipped. It is separate from the creation, and yeah. it is good, and it is orderly. Uh, that there's order to it. That's the whole thing. You know, the day and the night are created, and then the sun and the moon to rule the things. And the you know, th- there's all yeah, this. That, that's a very Im- stuff here. That's a very that's a very important point too. Is that um, he is the creator, and this is another distinction between uh, the the god uh, the god of Genesis and the god of the gods of the Near East. Is that uh, there was always like a connection between the gods of the Near East and their people. Like they were birthed; these this particular people were birthed from a lotus at the edge of the Euphrates, you know what I mean? Or, or uh, you know, they, you know, some, some sort of divine spark was in the, was, was with them. Uh, they had some sort of physical connection to the creator. And this is, there's a separation. Mm. He is the, crea- he's separate from his creation. He's not mingling with it. And so he creates it and he creates it good. And um, that is a—I mean, that's just a side note for fun. But yeah. anyway, um, there's a lot to be—you could preach for days on this particular passage. Yeah, it's a lot, and so, it is, it's almost too rich for a single sermon. Um, and there's also the whole thing that God makes male and female in God's image, another important point. Oh, my I gosh, know. that is a powerful, powerful thing. I mean, let me tell you what, uh, that is, that's a real truth that needs to be articulated— Male and female were created in his image. The separation between the two is a fruit of the fall. Um, but male and female, he created them, which is, a, which is a profound articulation of the diversity found in this God, the diversity that's found in the Trinity. And so, but uh, male and female are created in the image of God just Yeah, and to the point that you and I, uh, you know, we had that massive argument last time about pronouns for God. Uh, no, it wasn't a massive argument. It wasn't about you. <laughs> I just I'm kidding. still hurting. But the the thing um, that I think you and I talked about, I think that may, maybe have been after we finished recording the podcast, was the fact that um, just as there are problems with using the term she for God, there are also, in some senses, in the way some people understand it, problems using the word he for God, in that you have this very masculine, anthropomorphized sort of understanding of God. And when you're talking about God, especially on Trinity Sunday, a God that is Father, God that is Son, God that is Spirit, God that is three persons in one, God that when God creates human beings, creates them male and female in God's image, we're clearly talking about something that so blows apart are human categories of what it means to be a person. And again, we're just, we're trying to grab something that we don't fully understand. And that's not to say we can't say anything or that we can't articulate anything. You know me, Jake. Um, And, uh, but I think uh, this- He's revealed. This this is, um, this gets at this idea that God creates male and female humans in God's image. It's just such a wonderful thing because it, Again, one of the products of the fall, not only is there separation between male and female, there's subjugation of women to men. 
across human history in almost mm-hmm. all cultures, it's the rare example where it's the other way around. It's almost always men using physical strength to dominate and oppress and harass and demean women. Even to the extent that in Jesus' time, women could not own property, had no legal status, all that sort of stuff. But yet this seed is planted in Genesis way back when, which then I think continues to begin to come to flower and to ripen in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, Mm -hmm. The dignity and worth he shows to women goes all the way back to this part of Genesis uh, that God creates male and female in God's image. Yeah, and and should be conveyed in the church as embassies of a new creation. Like we are the we are in a broken way, we should illustrate to the world what redemption actually looks like. And this is why St. Paul would write, which is a key passage in the New Testament, there's no more Jew or Greek, free or slave, male or female. Yeah, but all are one in Christ. But all Jesus. are one in Christ. Yeah. So um and um you know, but uh, you know, we're both brides of Christ, but I won't call you yeah. she. And um, and uh, eh, I will stop there. Whatever. So anyway, but let's go to Second Corinthians chapter thirteen. <laughs> All right, skipping over to the Psalm, straight on to Second Corinthians. So here we have, and again, thank you, lectionary pickers, that even though you picked a really long reading for the Old Testament reading and a great reading and a rich reading, we now have two short readings from the New Testament. Uh, again, that's an act of mercy. Thanks, lectionary. And the Second Corinthians is Paul ending his second letter to the Corinthians. It was not the second letter he ever wrote to them. It's just the second letter that we have. He wrote multiple letters to the church in Corinth. And this was a church in Greece that was full of all kinds of problems. Paul started the church. The church had theft. It had factions. It had sexual morality. It had all kinds of jacked up stuff going on. And so Paul had spent a lot of time with them in person and in writing to try to put, put things in order. And he ends with this wonderful benediction. So this is him ending this letter to them. And he says, um, live in peace. God of peace will be with you. That's kind of his final appeal. Uh, and then he tells them to, to not do any social distancing. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, and maybe one day church will be back to that again. But he ends the thing. This is how he signs off. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. So this is to show mm-hmm. us and to show your congregation that very early in the church, Paul would have been writing this in the early 50s AD, so about 30 years after Jesus' ministry, or 20 years after Jesus' ministry, and mm-hmm. it shows the church already has this Trinitarian understanding of God. So for Paul, raised as a Jew who would have known the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, uh, who fought against, Christian, fought against Christianity because of the way it seemed to undermine that monotheistic understanding of God, uh, the God of Israel as the creator. Uh, for him to end a letter where, he's almost equ- where he is equating these three things, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. If he was still thinking in Unitarian Judaic terms, he would have said, the grace and love and communion of God be with you. But he doesn't. Mm-hmm. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit with all of you. Now, does that mean the Father does not have grace, or this, or Jesus doesn't have love, or we only get the communion of the Holy Spirit? No, but he is identifying some particular highlights or aspects of the, their different ministries to us, uh, as he describes yeah. them. 
Yeah, I mean that's absolutely right, and uh, it is a it's a we end morning prayer this way, um, and that is it is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in Christ by his virtue of his death and resurrection, um, you receive that which you don't deserve. You know what I mean, and uh, and that is his grace, and uh, that comes directly from the love of God. And the communion of the Holy Spirit is communion in the sense of the community that this is create that that all of this is created by the Holy Spirit, which is with you all. And this is actually it is it is God, uh, Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit that create the final farewell for Paul earlier. You know where he says, "Put things in order, because this place is a complete mess." You know what I mean? And listen to my appeal, aka that Jesus has died for you. And agree with one another on that, um, and then live in peace. Uh, that's uh, and peace. There means a clear conscience, a clear conscience because of what God has done for them in Jesus Christ, and uh, they have knowledge of that because of the Holy Spirit. So all of this is connected. But you're absolutely right. This short passage is really to convey that the Trinity wasn't made up 500 years later. You know, this is the earliest of the church was thinking about God in these terms. And then, of course, that's confirmed again in Matthew 28, the gospel reading for this Sunday, where you Mm -hmm. have Jesus commanding the disciples in a passage that's known as the Great Commission uh, to go into all nations and make disciples and then baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So again, a Trinitarian baptismal formula, which you and I have used hundreds of times Mm -hmm. and hopefully we'll use one day again. Uh, We're not doing baptisms now, obviously, but uh, we we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is Jesus's commandment. So again, as you said, the doctrine of the Trinity... And it's... Can I just... Can I just say, and it's in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, not the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and in the name of Jesus Christ. That is not, when you see in the name of Jesus in the book of Acts, that's Luke shorthand for mm-hmm. this, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so um, that is very critical, and, uh, and that's important. So I just, I see a lot of people, kind of uninformed folks, well-meaning, but adding G- in the name of Jesus Christ at the end of that. And so, but anyway, that's my tirade for the day. <laughs> and, so. and a beautiful one it was. Uh, I'm in lockdown. I can bitch if I want to. But anyway. <laughs> now that's explicit. Uh, yeah. So we have so. Uh, the other thing going on here. This story with Matthew, or that Matthew tells in this gospel, this is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus has told the disciples to go back to Galilee. This is pre-Pentecost. So again, that's important as well. This is pre-Pentecost, but Jesus is still including the Holy Spirit, something that they would not have maybe fully understood here, but they'll understand later. And again, the final thing that he says here, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I think that gives great comfort to people now, especially as they're in isolation and as this pandemic continues to wreak havoc in our lives and our economy and our bodies. And the promise that Jesus is with you, the reason he can be still with you, not just metaphorically or not just in sort of an inspirational sense, or we put his quotes on a poster on the wall above a sunset, the reason he can be with us is because of what we articulate in the Trinity, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Word of God comes to us still through the Scriptures, that the Spirit of God indwells us as baptized brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Um, and that the Spirit who indwells us, the Spirit of God, will point us back to the teachings of Christ and um, and, and, and uh, continue to give glory to God the Father. So all those things kind of work together, and that's mm-hmm. why and how we can say that Jesus is still with us, especially now. And 
And can I just say a few things uh, just about, first of all, there'll be some of you that will be uh, inclined to want to preach on, you know, how doubt is a yes, good thing. Yes, because that's doubt that part is, of the beginning which says they were there in Galilee. They yeah. saw him, they worshiped him. This is verse 17, but some doubted. And so, yeah. Yeah, doubt, doubt is not a good thing. Doubt is the opposite of faith. Um, this is this is this is not good. Some are like, wait a minute, am I? And what it means by in some doubted is they're there, and they're like, am I looking at a mirage? Is this some sort of like kind of you know uh, what's going on here? Is this some sort of emotional breakdown or crisis I'm having? And Jesus comes to them and he looks at them dead in the eye, and what a mirage wouldn't say, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given unto me. Now that is key. Because that authority takes away doubt. And that authority then becomes, because a lot of people, I hear a lot of people preach about just the Great Commission is go therefore and make disciples. You have no business going unless Jesus has given all, all unless all authority has been given unto Jesus. And so that is the key, is that by virtue of his death and resurrection and shortly soon his ascension, all authority has been given unto him. And that's the authority given to you now to go and make disciples, for you to go and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to preach this gospel with power, trusting that the word is going to do what it says, and that is create faith. And then, and by that word, uh, the peace of God dwells with you, and you become a new creation and a new embassy where men and women are finally equal. Um, God willing. And so anyway, but that is the beautiful thing about Trinity Sunday. All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to him, and he's with you to the very ends of the age. Yeah, and I think, you know, the thing we can say about preachers who talk about doubt in this passage and want to make it into a good thing, they are well-intentioned preachers, and what they're probably reacting against is some experience in their childhood where they had a question about the faith, and some adult told them, don't ask questions, just accept it. And so then they spent most of their college years as atheists until they wandered into an Episcopal church and met a priest who didn't believe in the creed. And they thought, oh, I can be a religious professional now. So um, I think uh, <laughs> cuts a little too close close to home. So, I know. I know like 12 of those I know. people. So, so anyway. The, but, uh, the, yeah, don't, when we say doubt is bad, don't hear us say, if you're a doubter, you're a bad person. What? That's right. I think it's objective and normal to say that doubt is bad. If you asked somebody who you cared about a great deal, do you love me? And they said, well, I'm not sure I've got some doubts. That would absolutely cause you pain. So just... <laughs> that's that's wrecked a lot of marriages, yeah. let me just tell you. Know, and so, so now that doubt is normal, yes, 100%. And Jesus, every time he meets a doubter, shows grace and compassion, which is exactly what he does here. He doesn't yell at the mm -hmm. doubters. It notes for our benefit, I think, that some doubted because when we hear this and we doubt, we, I think the scripture wants us to know that we are still included and invited into mm -hmm. Jesus's ministry. Uh, and so um, yeah. there is grace, but, but don't come away from this feeling like doubt is some thing to pat yourself on the back from being, for being a doubter. Now, doubt is part of the spiritual journey. Yeah. You learn from it. Your doubt, your questions will absolutely help you move forward in the process. If you listen to the mocking cast this past week, Sarah Condon and Dave Zoll and RJ Heyman had this great conversation about how people like to talk about living in the questions. They said, man, now, especially in coronavirus, I need some answers. Sarah, Sarah cracked me up yeah. as I was walking around outside listening to this. And she said, which of the Psalms begin with, I got a lot of questions. 
and then the <laughs> yeah. psalm ends. Like maybe just question yeah. mark, question mark, question mark. That's not like no. They'll say I, yes, I have questions, I have doubts, and then they say, but the Lord, the Lord heard my cry, yeah. the Lord answered me, the Lord delivered me, the Lord rescued me. So there are answers. And here to those who doubt, Jesus says, "Look, I'm the answer. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and now I send you forth in this to do this, this work." That's great. That's a good word. All right. Well, Jake, until next time. It's it's Trinity it's Trinity Sunday. It's a longer than normal episode, it's a lot but to it, talk about. probably a longer than normal sermon. Yeah, absolutely. So, but until next time, God bless you all and um, enjoy singing St. Patrick's Breastplate on this day. Peace. All 500 verses. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you liked what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.